for my dear love. Cherry. Forward. There was an old couple who lived down the street from my grandmother's house, and they ran a bed and breakfast, a cute little cottage with ivy running up a trellis by the door. My grandmother had an arrangement with the woman who lived there. They trade recipes and baked goods and yarn. An old lady illicit market of sorts. Since I spent long periods of time at my grandmother's house, she would send me with baskets of muffins or a new skein of wool, notes, and letters at least twice a week. I was her messenger. So that must be the first picture in this collection. An old photograph of a little girl, ten years old, standing tiptoe and reaching up to press the small round button of a doorbell. Her back is to the camera and she wears a cotton dress with tomatoes printed on it. She holds a wicker basket in her left hand. She's the only figure in the photograph, framed by an arched white doorway veined with dark green tendrils of ivy. My uncle took that picture of me on his Nikon film camera, one summer when all the family was visiting for my grandmother's birthday. And it was that picture which I found, fifteen years later, while I was looking through boxes of my old folders and notebooks, looking for something salvageable. This was six months after getting my first novel published and I was floating in a lackadaisical post-art depression. Nothing inspired me. My partner suggested that I look back through my boxes of random scribbling. The diggable graveyard, I called them, because they're full of dead ideas that I might be able to revive if I tried hard enough. I looked, even though I didn't think I'd find anything that caught my fancy. I had put every piece of myself into my book, and now I have absolutely nothing left. The void inside me could not be filled by reanimating the corpses of my past musings. A few things I found were funny. A brown paper napkin idea about a kid who hunts billionaires and makes them into soup. A post-it note about a few friends who break into Bill Nye's mansion and discover he's cloning himself to make an all-bill circus. Watercolor paper scribbled with details about an old woman who becomes a rock climber to feel alive after her best friend dies. All very fun and cute, but nothing that gave me new ideas. Then I came across the photograph. I went to show it to Cherry, and she thought it was cute. We pinned it up on the fridge with a few magnetic poetry words. I saw it every time I went to the fridge. Which was strange because usually you get to the photos pretty quickly and stop really seeing them unless you look, you know? That picture made me look. Every time. I thought about that house and every strange thing in it. Half-finished crossword puzzles torn out of newspapers, shelves full of ceramic figurines, closets full of perfumed dresses. Strangest of all, the rotating cast of characters that were the guests. Families, couples, businessmen, groups of friends. What a strange and amazing business to welcome strangers into your house, feed them, and wish them well on their way. You would meet so many people who are completely different from your your friends. A bed and breakfast would be a great place for a writer to live. The idea absolutely possessed me. I leapt up from my daydream in the middle of dinner, dropped my fork, and ran from the room. Are you all right? Cherry asked, startled. Yes, I responded. I have an idea. <laughs> Glad to hear it. I heard her slightly muffled around the corner. Since in my haste I was already in our bedroom, typing fast on my laptop a quick search for bed and breakfast, San Francisco. The first result was an old Victorian house in Clarendon Heights, which boasted full meal service, accommodation for long-term guests, 
and two available rooms. It also specifically said it was queer-friendly. And best of all, it was within my budget. I looked at the pictures, and it was gorgeous. It was a three-story house painted light lavender, and it seemed to melt into the forest behind it. The pictures of the bedrooms were beautiful, too. Ornate and tastefully decorated, with fun antiques. One of the rooms had a desk with an antique typewriter, and I audibly gasped. It was perfect. Still, I wanted to compare my options. I opened up another tab and did the search again, this time with the keyword cheap. Once again, the lavender house was the first search result. I smiled. I clicked on the second search result, but it only brought me to an error page. So I went back and clicked on the third, but it also brought me to an error page. The same happened the fourth and the fifth, so I gave up. It didn't matter anyway. I already knew I wanted to stay at the lavender house. I came back to the kitchen and sat down again in front of my now cold stir-fry across from Terry. So, what idea did you have? She asked me, amused. She was used to my frenzies by now. My manic bursts of inspiration and she smirked at me affectionately all throughout my explanation. Oh, until I told her I would be going alone. You know, I've got enough sick leave saved up that I could come with you if, if you want. I reached across the table and took her hand. I want you to come with me, I really do, but like, think about it, you know me. If you came with me, I'd never talk to anyone. I've got to get out of my comfort zone. I raised her hand to my lips and kissed her knuckles one by one. And you know you're my comfort zone. God, you're so sweet. How long will you be gone? Only like a week. Can I call you every night? Only if I don't call you first. So with my suitcase in hand, a few days later in the late afternoon, I stood outside the lavender house and kissed her goodbye. So, is it in those woods there? Yes, it's that one. There. She squinted up towards the house and made a little, huh, noise. Huh. Spooky. I hope it's everything you're looking for. I hope so, too. We hugged. I'm going to miss you, I said. I'm gonna miss you, too. <laughs> I love you. I love you, too. I watched her car turn the corner, and she was gone. I turned to the house. It was gorgeous in person. A gentle purple dappled with patches of sunlight and shadow. I could see three distinct floors with wide windows framed by gray shutters. One corner of the house was rounded, almost castle-like, and the curved windows told me it had been around since before the earthquake. Sticking up from the gray slate roof was a brass weather vane, with three arrows pointing in different directions topped off by an open-mouthed brass rooster. It was up a small hillside, which was covered with flowering fruit trees and a dense blackberry thicket. Bells and wind chimes hung from every other branch, strung up with twine. A pink-painted birdhouse nestled in the crook of a cherry tree, and a little brown wren poked their head out and stared at me. They tweeted sharply and ducked back into the birdhouse. I've always loved birds, so I smiled. I started up towards the house. There was a steep stepping stone staircase, thick with moss and clover. I carried my suitcase up, 
carefully. At the top, it evened out to a gray flagstone patio. The front door was solid wood and painted lavender, and it sat between two windows. In the middle, a brass door knocker in the shape of a lion's head held a brass ring in its mouth. I lifted the ring. Tentatively. I let it go, and it smacked clack, clack, clack onto the lion's mane. A few moments later, the doorknob turned, and the door creaked open. A tiny little old person smiled up at me. Hello, are you May Garnier? Yes, I am. Lovely to meet you. My name's Laverna, and I use they, them pronouns. Uh, you spoke with my partner Doubleday over the phone. They had kind, wrinkled eyes and a firm handshake. Their hair was pulled up into a loose bun on the top of their heads, and they still looked completely androgynous. Nice to meet you, too. I may, and I use she hers. Oh, won't you come in, dearie? Oh, you're not allergic to cats, are you? No, I love cats. Do you have a cat? <laughs> yes, we have a few. They showed me inside. There was a short hallway which opened into a kitchen and dining room area, with a parlor through one doorway and a staircase through another. Bookshelves lined every wall and books filled them and poured out of them like creeping moss. There were books stacked everywhere I could see, on top of kitchen cabinets, in the middle of tables, on the floor under potted plants. There were hardbacks wedged under the sofa and paperbacks wedged between the rungs of the banister and zines hung from the nails in the wall by bits of thread. It looked like a library had gone rogue and invaded the house. The cats were also prolific. The longer I looked, the more cats I saw. A ginger cat on the stairs, three fluffy black and white kittens curled up on the couch, a gray tabby in the kitchen sink, a fluffy white Persian cat on the padded armrest of an armchair. Eyes peered out at me from the darkness of a hall closet. Everywhere, whiskers, tails, pricked up ears, curious eyes. They were omnipresent. How many cats do you have? I asked in a tone that I hoped wasn't judgmental. Counting both the inside cats and the outside cats, we had uh, 47 as of last Wednesday. I nodded with appreciation. Do they all have names? Of course they do. We can take a cat tour tomorrow. Perhaps I'll introduce you. But first, I'll show you to your room. Are stairs a problem for you, dear? No, not at all. We'll put you on the third floor, then. Gary, come here. The gray tabby cat jumped out of the sink and trotted up to Laverna, leaving little wet paw prints on the hardwood floor. I realized that what hung around his neck was not a collar. It was a brass key on a sage green leather cord. He leapt up onto the countertop and sat down. Thank you, sir. They scratched him behind his ear and took the key from around his neck. Gary leapt back off the counter and trotted away, back to the sink. Here's your room key. Oh, wow. Thank you. Now then, just follow me. Laverna went to a back corner of the kitchen and opened a door. It revealed a second staircase, this one steep and twisting, and made from dark wood. They climbed it with a limberness I didn't expect a person so old to have. I was grateful that I had packed light. It's funny that Gary likes to sit where it's wet. I smiled. 
isn't it? He was an Olympic swimmer in a past life. <laughs> I laughed at their joke. The staircase wound up and up and passed a landing and ended in the third floor hall. It had wide, sunny windows that faced due west and the setting sun painted everything gold and orange. The hall itself was wide and short, with three bookshelves, a vanity mirror, and a wooden chest overflowing with stuffed animals and newspapers. A rocking horse without eyes collected dust in the corner. There were two doors, and Laverna knocked on one of them. May is here. Come in. Laverna opened the door and led me into a messy study. There were two desks, strewn with papers and feathers and stained with blots of ink. More books, everywhere, of course. Doubleday sat at one of the desks. They were taller and spindlier than Laverna, and their hair was shorter and frizzier. They looked equally as ancient, and they wore thick round spectacles which magnified their eyes to the size of silver dollars. Their eyebrows were as gray and unkempt as their partner's. Just like their partner, they looked like an inscrutable middle space, neither feminine nor masculine, and absolutely unapologetic. May! Wonderful to meet you. The name's Doubleday. The pronoun is they. We talked over the telephone. We did indeed. It's nice to meet you. You have a lovely house. Oh, glad you think so. I certainly agree with you. They turned to Laverna. Love, do you suppose you can help me with an old something once you've shown Miss May her room? I'd like you to put your eyes on this. They gripped a crumpled piece of parchment paper covering the words with their hands. Oh, of course, of course. This way, May. They led me across the hall to the room I'd be staying in. I'd seen pictures on the website, but I still gasped when I walked through the door. My room had three big windows, two which overlooked the street and one that spied a back garden that I didn't know existed, and the glass in the window was so old it was wavy. The walls were wrapped snug in an olive-green wallpaper, patterned with gold swirls and dusty pink roses. A chandelier graced the middle of the ceiling, blossoming down in metal swirls and flower-shaped glass shades for the light bulbs. A pastoral oil painting of a cottage with geese hung above the bed, an ornate wooden bed frame with a handmade-looking rainbow patch quilt. On top of an old oak desk by the window, there it was, the antique typewriter. Laverna must have seen me looking because they said, Feel free to use the typewriter for your book, dearie. There are stacks of fresh paper in the desk drawers. Uh, just be gentle with it and let me know if it gets jammed. <laughs> they left me there to settle in, with the promise of dinner in an hour. I set down my suitcase, hung my jacket over the bedpost, took my shoes off and flopped down on the bed. Everything glowed in the light from the window. The chandelier, the ceiling... My eyelashes, the tip of my nose, all gold. I couldn't remember telling Laverne or Doubleday that I was writing a book. But they knew, so I guess I must have. I must have just forgotten. I lied there for a long time, thinking. There were so many nooks and crannies to this house, so many secrets. I didn't know where to even start. But I let my mind wander over the details of it all. All the cats, all the books, all the strangeness packed into every corner, and I realized. 
I could write a whole chapter on every one of those things easily. An exercise in nonfiction poetry. But first, I would have to explain how I got here. A foreword. I slid off the bed and threaded a clean sheet of paper into the typewriter. It was an old machine, matte black and rusty wherever the paint was shipped, but the keys never stuck. I thought for a moment and typed a short dedication. For my love, Cherry. here. I'm the writer and editor of Pictures of Lavender House, and if you like this episode, stay tuned for the next one. Things will continue to get stranger. Pictures of the Lavender House is produced by Astor Podcasting Presents, in conjunction with the University of San Francisco's College Players. You can check out more of their podcasts by searching Astor Podcasting Presents, that's A-S-T-E-R, on your favorite podcast service, social media site, or general search engine. Endless thanks and adoration to our cast, who appear as follows. Janelle Malonzo as May, Kelsey Villanueva as Cherry, Dylan Vodzak as Laverna, Eli Ramos as Doubleday, and Gabriella Brustowski as Gary the Cat. Attributes for sound effects and music are listed in the show notes. A special thanks to Eli Ramos, Eve Matson, and Holden Fothery for all their support in production. An additional special thanks to a dear muse of mine, whose identity shall remain secret for secret reasons. And one final thing, if I may. A question for you, dear listener. If my upper arm and my forearm were to get a divorce, what would they have over my elbow? Joint custody. (laughs) Thanks for listening.